The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Hacky Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. And today we're lucky to have returning to us from Lumine, one of the world's authority on Down syndrome and Alzheimer's, who's doing so much. Dr. Jim Hendricks, welcome back. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Where, where are you from? Where am I from? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was born in Columbus, Ohio, a um, long time ago. Um, but I, we, my father was a graduate student there. And then when I was five, we moved to Colorado. That's where I'm, that's where I say I'm from. Um, and that's where I grew up. That's where I went to college and graduate school. I went to um, Northern Colorado. That's where University of Northern Colorado. I played football there. And then Colorado State is where I got my PhD. And then um, in 93, I moved to the East Coast in New Jersey and worked in the pharmaceutical industry for 20 years. One of the reasons I started differentbrains.org is the overlap of all of these different pillars, silos, Alzheimer's, autism, Down syndrome concussions, CTE, football, it all kind of blends together. And one might think of, if you were to look through the rearview mirror, maybe think of Alzheimer's as an end result. What are your thoughts on the relationship between CTE, concussions, down syndrome and alzheimer's what do you see there so i think it's it's pretty clear that um that concussion and even even in a younger age and younger athletes or younger people can increase your risk for uh dementia later in life or cte and notice i said dementia and not alzheimer's disease i'd say the jury is still out on whether it increases your risk of alzheimer's disease in fact i saw a paper uh, 10 years ago, I think, where some researchers went back and they looked at men who had played football in the late 1940s, early 1950s, um, high school, college, and looked to see what their rates of Alzheimer's disease was. And of course, this is the leather helmet days, right? This is very little protective equipment. Um, and, and what they found was that um, there was no difference in the rates of Alzheimer's disease among these uh, these these men um, currently, and so I think that there's a there's still a lot we need to learn about it. Uh, CTE seems to be I'm driven. Just to say this because that's so interesting about the leather helmet football days, and um, we had a guy when I went to high school, um, which I had gotten expelled in the first grade, the tenth grade. This was my final school, and was. Snyder High in Jersey City, and uh, it was a big public school, great school. I played basketball there, but our disciplinarian was Milt Singer, who was one of the two Singer twins who played without helmets and with leather helmets back in the old uh, precursor to the NFL days. Many people feel the helmets these days are the you know, treatment is worse than the disease. And I didn't mean to get off on a tangent, but it's 
so interesting when you compare the eras when there was back in those days one guy in the whole football league who weighed over 200 pounds Joe Stoddard I think his name was and then you fast forward to 1985 when the NFL had one guy over 300 pounds, Refrigerator Perry, happened to be the same year. I fought a guy um, named Stephen Elmore who tried out for the Jets, who was uh, the first 300-pound guy ever to get in the ring. And now you fast forward to now, and every high school team's got a few 300-pounders. They're around. And then you're going to – I'm sure you'll get into later the uh, relationships of obesity and, and so forth. So yeah, so, so interrupted you and thrown No, off. that's a that's okay. I could I could uh, I'm an old um, college football player myself, and so I I can I am very passionate about this. My father played um, um, junior junior college football in the leather helmet days, and and when I told him about that result, um, he said, "Yeah, my biggest concern was not to break my nose." So they didn't even have face masks, and so they were. They were tackling the way that like rugby players tackle. They were tackling, leading with their shoulders. They were wrapping up. They were bringing people down that way. They weren't leading with their heads. And the problem I see with helmets is that helmets are designed to prevent uh, a skull fracture. But your brain is floats in this fluid inside of your skull. So if you go at a high rate of speed and stop suddenly, your brain is going to slosh forward and bang on the inside of your skull. And that's what creates the concussions that, that occurs. And no, I can't imagine any amount of, of technology that we're going to be able to build for helmets that is going to prevent that. So what we need is, you know, when I played back in the 80s, um, you, you weren't, it, was a, it was illegal to leave your feet to make a tackle or a block. Um, and now, if you don't, you don't. You don't play college football, you know, because you're not aggressive enough. So I think we need um, more safety um, in, in that sport. And really, it's a, I, you know, I agree. I think that the the size of the players and today make a make a difference. But it's there's a lot of other things that we need to, to do because I do love the sport. I still love the sport. I'd love to. I, I want to protect it because I, I. But I worry that we're putting. Um, the young young people that are playing the sport at risk and, well, you know um, i gotta maybe i'll have you join I'm, I'm putting together a little team to try to get access to the nfl commissioner to nibble around the edges without hurting the game with something like this just for starters i just want to get cognizance i want them to recognize there's an issue out there not to hurt the game, change the game. And I think that something all the little kids could copy that they could outlaw in the NFL is after the running back runs through, banging his head, scores the touchdown, what happens? Everybody starts smacking him on the head. And it's these, as the Boston University uh, people feel, it's the repeat it's not the big hits. It's the, those repeats. The subconcussive blows, yeah. Subconcussive blows. And uh, um, I wish that we could do that without endangering the salaries and the money and the economics and the sport itself. Uh, it's, it's tough stuff. Do you see any way to get a, um, a reasonable discussion without hurting the game 
with collegiate and high school and pros? Well, I, I think that the thing is, is that like with like with so many things in life, the the top of the pyramid has the biggest influence, um, except in one particular case. If parents are sufficiently worried about the safety of football, they're not going to allow their their kids to play it. And you're seeing, I actually have been reading in some parts of the country, um, youth football programs being disband disbanded because there's not enough interest. And that's the problem. The NFL is not is is the top most popular sport in America today. But you know, um, in the 1930s, 1940s, what boxing and horse racing were the most popular sports in America. So these things can change. And um, if if American kids don't play football, where do you get your talent, right? Because this is the only country that really plays that sport. Um, you know, if if American kids stopped playing basketball or even baseball, you'd still be able to find um, players in other countries to, to, to fill the rosters, but football is not that way. And so I think, I think we, you know, we have to both influence the NFL to put a safer um, product on the field because that will influence the way players play it in college and, and then so far in, in high school. And if parents feel it's safe, then they'll be more likely to say okay to their their sons that want to play. Now, you, you mentioned obesity. This is my other concern. We in our country, we always I, I sometimes I feel like we we have an overreaction to everything. And we also know that obesity increases your risk for Alzheimer's disease. That's been pretty there's pretty strong evidence there. And we have an obesity epidemic in this country. We know that. Well, I don't want in our effort to protect our kids from head injuries that we then, um, you know, we overreact and then we protect our kids and, and they, don't do, they don't do anything but play video games, right? And they become obese. So if, you know, I, I think you were probably a similar type of kid. If, if I hadn't been able to play an aggressive sport like football, I probably would have sat around a lot because <laughs> that was the kind of sport I liked, right? That was the kind of sport that excited me. I didn't want to run track. I didn't want to swim. I was a horrible swimmer, by the way, but I didn't want to do those sports. I found them boring and, and, and not very fun. Football was fun for me. Basketball was fun for me. Well, you mix it up and you have to, you know, you throw an elbow or, you, you know, you go after your opponent. Those were the sports that were fun for me, but, but we have to figure out how to make them safe as well. That was so well said. That's going to be our best soundbite. Maybe we'll send <laughs> that soundbite to... I was going to say, showing my age, Pete Rozelle, but that was 100 years ago. <laughs> um, I, re I remember Pete Rozelle well. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, uh, it's interesting because um, um, George Vesey, one of the senior sports writers for the New York Times, uh, whose brother is on TV with uh, that other show, uh, I was talking to George about this. In fact, I did an interview with him about it from the sports writer's perspective. He's a brilliant guy, great writer. And I don't say that because he did three feature articles on me back when I was having my 10 seconds of fame boxing. No, but he's really a thinker. And uh, uh, we were saying, how can we get the bully pulpit to um, be able to just get somebody to hear it in a non-threatening way? 
the way you just said it, okay? Um, well, you know, I, I saw an excerpt from a, from a paper that was published where it said, it talked about how we've known about the effects of, of these repeated head injuries for, for years, yet we don't do anything about it. And that paper was published about um, boxing and it was published in the 1920s. <laughs> so, you know, the, we, we've, got, we've got work to do. What would be the biggest thing about Alzheimer's that somebody might not realize? Um, I think that people think that we don't, we know a lot less than we do because it's been, you know, you, you pick up the paper, oh, another Alzheimer's drug failed. You know, there's no new treatments. There's, it's, a, it's, a, um, it's a disease with no hope. And I think one of the things that we have to get, you know, get out to people is that there are things you can do to reduce your risk as you age. Um, one of the things that I, I always like to talk about is that how amyloid shows up first in your brain. And um, it shows up 10 to 20 years before symptoms. So if 65 and up is when you're most likely to start seeing symptoms, that means that your brain might be, be changing as early as 45 years of age. So you can't wait until your senior year or seniors, senior years to, to start worrying about brain health. And in fact, there was a, a paper in the Lancet um, about four, maybe three or four years ago that talked about all the, um, the, the dementia cases, not just Alzheimer's, but dementia generally that could be prevented with lifestyle changes. And one of them was education. And basically, if people get at least a high school education, they lower their risk of Alzheimer's disease. So think about that. You're talking about childhood education and educational attainment of, of children or young people, young adults, changes the course of Alzheimer's disease when you're a senior citizen. That means that brain health is a lifetime thing. And that's what, you know, when we were talking about um, youth sports a few minutes ago, that has a long-term impact. All of it has a long-term impact. You can't just say, I'm gonna have a healthy brain when I start worrying about my brain. You have to start worrying about your brain and taking it seriously. And that's why, you know, exercise, a healthy diet, um, social interaction, mental stimulation, being a lifetime learner, all of those things um, really seem to help um, reduce the risk of, of, of Alzheimer's disease. And it, it's never too early or too late to start so, working on those strategies. Beautifully said, beautifully said. Um, you know, when I, I gave a keynote out at the Aspen Brain Lab uh, a few years back, and this got me in a little bit of trouble, but one of the things I said was, you know, we, we have to also start using common sense and not feel that we have to prove everything over and over. Because I said, like at that conference, 
you're going to hear from the people in, I think it was Maryland, who got a good grin, and did a great study about how a good diet, a Mediterranean-style diet, plant-based mainly, rewired the brains of these people with autism to an extent, okay? You're going to hear later how it had a positive effect on these, for lack of a better term, I'll call it a pre-Alzheimer's group, you know? If we were at a different conference, you'd hear how it was good to prevent heart disease and cancer and all of the above. So we have to start introducing some common sense into this as we look around and we order our McDonald's and fries. I mean, you know. <laughs> you know, what did, what did my mother say to me? Probably the same thing your mother said to me. Eat your vegetables and go out and play. Yeah. <laughs> common sense, right? How can people learn more about you and your work and your mission? So uh, our, our website is uh, lumindidsc.org. And we also have, we have quite, quite a few resources. We also have a, we have a face, we have a bunch of Facebook groups. So you can look up on Facebook, look up Lumind and you can see um, here is where I, here it is. How, how you spell, our, spell our name. That's um, where you are, who you are. Yeah, and so that way we, you know, you can find different groups that might be the right one for you. I spend most of my time on our research Facebook group, not not surprisingly, uh, where people share uh, questions or or we learn from each other. Um, we also have um, a, a, a new uh, offering for families called My DSC, My Down Syndrome Community, where you can sign up on our website, and it has lots of resources. Uh, it provides information on medical care, so specialty medical care, as I said, that's a problem that we don't have a lot of access to, uh, particularly for adults. So you can find uh, information about access, accessing um, medical care. And you can ask questions of, of expert physicians on our on the MyDSC app. We also, if you're interested in participating in research, there's research opportunities that you can do from home. I mentioned the MAP habit um, study we just completed. That was something that people did at home. Uh, we have a we have a program for, for people who are concerned about Alzheimer's disease called My Goal Now. So this is for caregivers and it'd be something that they could download on their computer, home computer or their smartphone to just to track symptoms that they're concerned about as people might be progressing, their loved one might be progressing toward Alzheimer's disease. And, and we also have a, we do surveys from time to time. We have one open right now. We have a caregiver survey um, uh, that, that people may be interested in participating in. It's done with, um, um, a, um, a professor at, at, at Boston University as well. So um, we're, we're, we're trying to, to provide as much as we can. And, and we have um, uh, we also have resources where people can look up ongoing clinical trials. And we're running a, a natural history study right now called the LIFE DSR study of adults with Down syndrome age 25 and older who are at risk for Alzheimer's disease. And we're trying to learn um, what we can about them. Dr. Jim Hendricks, PhD. Lumind IDSC, thank you so much for all you're doing for so many, for all of us with different brains. Take care, Jim. Bye. Okay, goodbye. Exploring Different Brains is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org.